views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Tonight's live broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. Today's date is May 8th, 2019, on this Wednesday night. We will be in conversation with special guest speaker Muriel Wallace, who is a former state correctional officer and is currently the CEO of the nonprofit Coming Out Christian Outreach Organization. Senator Bernie Sanders, who is running for the Democratic nomination for president in a field of about 20 candidates, announced that he supported restoring voting rights to U.S. citizens incarcerated in the United States. Now, several of his fellow candidates also vying for the DNC nomination have come out against the ideal, including Senator Cory Booker, U.S. Representative Tulsi Gabbard, and Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Senator Kamala Harris took no side in the issue, but rather suggested that a conversation about it should be had. And that is what we hope to continue to do here on New Abolitionist Radio and not let this issue uh, die. Not that we're going to stay focused on it every week, but it's an important issue. In fact, it was one of the demands that was listed by the prisoners who participated in the 2018 prison strike. But it does seem that the mainstream media has abandoned the discussion. Uh, but Jeffrey Robinson, who is the ACLU Deputy Legal Director and the Director of the Tron Center for Justice and Equality, published an article titled, The Racist Roots of Denying Incarcerated People Their Right to Vote. And it documented the racist reasons for stripping U.S. citizens of their rights, including their right to vote in the first place. CEO Muriel Wallace again will be our special guest and she will share her perspective from her experience as a correctional officer and explain why she feels that prisoners who are U.S. citizens should have their voting rights restored. Um, New Abolitionist Radio, this is award-winning weekly radio broadcast and podcast this started in 2012 to bring awareness to legalized slavery and human trafficking in the USA, preserved by the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. This program is hosted by former prisoner Tyson McCullough, activist Mother Khadijah, and former prisoner and Grammy-nominated music artist Maxwell Melvins. And of course, my name is Scotty Reed. I'm the founder of the Black Talk Radio Network. So I really appreciate uh, Mother Khadijah. Um, following up on this issue because it is a very important issue um, especially to the black community but I would say to all incarcerated regardless of whatever uh, group or demographic they may belong to um, you know this is about recognizing the human rights 
of individuals and just treating people humanely when they are in prison. So uh, let me welcome in our co-host. I'm still looking for our guest to call in. Perhaps I'll try uh, to see if I can dial her from my end. But let's go ahead and welcome in our fellow panelists, fellow abolitionists, uh, Mother Khadijah, Brother Tyson, and Maxwell Melvins. Good evening to you all. Thank you, Scotty. Good to be here. Good evening, Scotty. Brother Max. All right, so Maxwell's still online. Uh, yes, I, he's, his his mic is unmuted. Um, so, Mother Khadija, while I try to get our guests on the line, uh, can you tell me why you decided to do a follow-up program and to continue to focus on the issue of voting rights and reached out to our guests to speak on this issue from a former correctional correction officer's perspective? Well, we see so much going on with behind the walls, behind the prison systems and jail systems, and and people feel like they don't have a right, they don't have a voice. So knowing the laws, knowing we're all citizens, knowing how it's structured, and it's not right that they can't vote on anything that it, that tailors to them, their own conditions. So it's important that we expose what's really going on so that we can figure out the best remedy to get some of the things changed because no one really cares about the conditions that prisoners face except the prisoners. So why can't the prisoners have a right, a legal right as citizens to vote for better conditions? That's just only the human thing to do ethically. So, and you know, it touched, we had a good conversation last week. I just felt that we should just stick to this topic and, and fight for ways to also abolish the 13th Amendment. The voters' rights, we, the prisoners are still human. They're still right. citizens. And we just want to keep addressing that until it hits home. At what point do they lose their citizenship when they get incarcerated? They never do. Right. So right. we have to stress how important it is and, you know, open people's third eye as to what really is going on. And that could just be Miriam, a solution Wong. to the problem. Yes, and I think we do have our guest, uh, Miss Wallace, on the line. Miss Wallace, do we have you now? Yes, you do. All right. Well, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, we're so thankful you could join us tonight to speak on this very important topic. Since this is your first time on the program, a first-time guest, hopefully this won't be your last time. Um, but I like to ask our first-time guests. Um, for them to give us an assessment of the 13th Amendment after I read it to you uh, on air. Uh, the reason that we ask this is just to um, see, to gauge where our guests are in their understanding on what this program uh, really focuses on, although there are many intersectional issues um, when it, concerning prisoners and prisoner rights and everything. But uh, this folk program titled New Abolitionist Radio, um, we call it that because we believe there's a need for a new abolitionist movement to tackle slavery and human trafficking in the 21st century because we believe or we have assessed by reading the 13th Amendment that slavery was actually never abolished but set up in a new form as punishment for crime, a.k.a. through the prisons and court system. So this is what the 13th Amendment says. And if if you could just afterwards give us your assessment, if you agree with us, uh, if you're not quite there yet, um, that's fine too. Um, but, you know, we're just on here to try to educate the public as much as possible and share perspectives. But the 13th Amendment, of the U.S. Constitution, which was ratified uh, by the states uh, and passed into law in 1865, says in Section 1, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. And Section 2 just simply says Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. And and so do you take the text of the 13th Amendment, if you just read that, would you, would you think it would be accurate to say that we have actually totally abolished slavery in this country? No, I don't think we haven't gotten past it yet. It still exists. Um, just kind of brushed on the rug a little bit, kind of dressed up a little bit. 
it still exists. Yes, ma'am. In 100% agreement with you. So, um, Mother Khadija uh, scheduled you, and we're going to let her lead us in conversation, but you're also joined on the line by Brother Tyson, myself, Scotty, and we got Brother Max sitting in the cut as well. And this is just a, a open discussion, um, and so at any time, either of us may jump in, but we're going to start and let Mother Khadija lead us. Okay, thank you so much, Scotty. Thank you, Sister um, Wallace, for coming on. And I, I'm, it's, it's amazing of the conditions that go on behind the wall. And from your perspective, from an ex-state correctional officer, what are some of the things like that you had to, that to endure, like things that you've witnessed, that you could speak firsthand on why you feel that the voters, prisoners should be voting based on the conditions. What are some of the things that you saw firsthand? And tell the listeners more about who you are and your background as well. Yes. Um, my name is um, Prophet Mary Wallace. Um, I worked at a work for the Department of Correction. I worked at the state penitentiary um, almost six years. And um, one of the biggest things is unfairness, um, favoritism, um, even being you know, incarcerated is is still uh, that favoritism, um, and um, a lot of times, you know, they're they're not getting the fair treatment of of medical, um, in which a lot of people feel that they're you know that being incarcerated, they're they're living better than people that having to to work a nine to five. Um, that they're, you know, getting um, free education and free medical, you know, they're getting free cable, which a lot of people that works every day, some people is not um, able to afford having the luxury of, of cable and um, even having to um, have a hardship of, of just just basically basic surviving. And so a lot of times that's, that's taken um is is taking out on the on the the inmates there. Um, a lot of things I've seen, even um, where uh, the inmates, you know, how disrespectful they can be to to the officers. So a lot of times that comes back to play where you know it's a tit for tat. You know, you you're disrespectful to the officers. So we're gonna, you know, uh, um, not gonna allow you to. To have some of the things that you are um, entitled to, um, a lot of times um, I've seen, you know, got the witness where some of the Caucasian, um, whether it be supervisor, even officers, there was disrespectful to the the African American and the the Latinos and the Mexican prisoners. Um, just still having that statement of, of, of and that mentality of, of slavery, of um, thinking that that people of those um, races um, feel entitled, you know. Um, so you you get to see a lot of a lot of things that that's unfair, and um, you just kind of have to go with it. And there's nothing a lot you can do about it. Um, and you know, even being mistreated based on whatever their crime was, that was one of the biggest, most horrific things that I've seen. That that um, based on one's crime, that's how they were treated based on that. Uh, prophetess uh, Wallace, did you say prophetess? Yes, prophetess. Pro- prophetess Wallace. I don't know if you saw this in the news recently, um, but there were uh, correctional officers playing in a I'm feeling cute at work challenge. And many, uh, um, quite a few of them, um, not all of them, have lost their jobs over stuff they was posting on social media like, I feel cute today, I might uh, stick your baby uh, daddy in the shower for six hours. And this was from a Florida correction officer. And what really struck me about that is in the state of Florida, there was a prisoner by the name of Darren Rainey, an African-American prisoner with a mental illness. 
and a book was written about him. Uh, he was killed by being forced in the shower for hours by guards with scalding hot water uh, to the point that it killed him. Um, they said his wow. skin was literally falling off. So I, I, I'm, wow. I'm not sure if you are aware of that feeling cute uh, challenge that was making a lot of the national headlines and news. Um, but I mean, have you seen people with that type of attitude to where, you know, they're, they're correction officers, but I think you was kind of speaking to how they treat these people, um, as if they are less than human as, as slaves, if you will. Yes, 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 yes. You, you see, you see that, you see a lot of that, you, you know, um, one thing I, you know, would tell, you know, persons, um, no day is the same, you know. Even far as to um, inmates being sexually assaulted, you know that that goes on there. Um, it's, it's just so much, and you know that goes on. You you'll get this to witness, and 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 one of the things is is such a shortage, you know, such a high turnover, um, because a lot of times people um, they go there they only you know. Um, allow themselves and just based on what they're seeing they is you know um the the officers in a sense you know the mental abuse um that you you know that they have you know we had you know to endure um it it it, it plays on on one person a, a weak person they wouldn't be able to stand it and i and i can you know say that i've seen a many come and go um, because it's, it's it's a very stressful job. Mm-hmm. It's it's very stressful, and um, you know, not to uphold anyone, you know, in wrongdoing. Um, a lot of times, I've I've had a young lady that came behind me um, when I started there. She was um, killed, brutally killed by an, an inmate. Um, so. When you go in there, you know, you're just afraid that you come out alive. Um, just like over in North Carolina last year, um, inmates killed X amount of um, officers and wounded so many officers. So it's one of the things that, you know, you have to take serious when you're thinking about it and considering making it um, a career. Um, and you, it's a place that when you go in there, you know, whatever you may have going on, in your life, you definitely want to leave it at the door because you definitely have to be on your P's and Q's at all times. So it, prison is pretty much dangerous for everybody around, all around. Yes. The conditions yes, are, are such. And do you feel like administrators really care? Um, For some people, it's a paycheck. Some people that's going to retire, um, they just just go through the motion. Um, then you have those who have things going on in their personal life. So you have some that I would say genuine care, but then you have that percentage that, like I say, that's, they're saying, you know, a year, two more years, I'm out of here, you know, they can have it, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's, it's a numbers game when it comes to that, I would say. Okay. So Mr. Wild, I had a question for you because, Speaking from personal experience, what I had to go through with my husband in both the state and the feds is when he was denied the medical treatment and just the, the just everything the, from the special diet he was supposed to be on. And fortunately, I you know from my paralegal background, I know the steps I had to take to reach that warden to make the complaint. But for those that do not have family members to do that and prisoners have to directly complain to the warden. What is that process like? Because I can only imagine if they don't have anyone calling in to fight for their rights, and and which is, again, going back to why it's important for prisoners to be able to vote so they can change the conditions and perspective of how we view them. So give us kind of like a a bird's-eye view of, of, of... of what really goes on behind the wall when, when prisoners really start going through things and really have serious medical conditions, not to mention mental illnesses. Well, a lot of times um, it's kind of solely falls back on whom that officer may be working that pod or that floor 
to notify um, higher, uh, you know, his chain of command um, if uh, inmates complain of having, you know, such illness. Um, they have X amount of time to respond. Um, also lost um, family friend um, that was in one of the correctional facilities. He had been complaining of um, chest pains and, and headaches and um, end up, you know, um, expiring um, in his cell. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's chain of command. Um, for most most institutions, they have what they call jailhouse lawyers, in which it is, you know, um, another inmates that have studied laws and and can speak on the behalf of those who may, you know, um, not have ability to read or may not be in knowledge, um, have knowledge of the, the the rules and the regulation and how things go. So a lot of times they do, it, but that goes um, hand in hand where if an inmate doesn't communicate um, with the other inmates and and then um, it goes to also where that the jailhouse lawyer, um, which he may be requesting something for, you know, conversation, whether it be something from the commissary or not, and if that person doesn't have the ability to pay something or trade off something, then, then yeah, a lot of times they, you know, go, you know, um, lacking. So if they don't, um, have the opportunity to have a, a, a officer that's, that's genuine and takes their job um, seriously. So that's that's another um, issue. And you know, um, just like all inmates, not bad, and all officers, not bad. It's just you get you you you're good in in percentage in both, and you get your bad in the percentage of both. Mm-hmm. Um, we. We uh, brother uh, Tyson, just to let everybody know, uh, we got about six minutes, and we'll take our first break. And coming out of All that right. break, I'm going to play an audio clip. But go ahead, brother Tyson. I just wanted to um, ever just explain like the remedy process with um, you know, when people have complaints and how they tell you to file the proper paperwork, and and can you just explain like? You know, because a lot of people don't don't know what's going on when when you have to remedy certain things of of mistreatment or or have remedy for for medical to be able to overturn. You know, when they deny you something. So, could you just explain or elaborate on that, old sister? Yes, um, it's called the um the proper um, paperwork that they um should file. It's called a grievance form. And they should no one should be um, denied to file that that paperwork, and and which you know it goes through a chain of command is proper steps in and following that, and it should be a hearing, and um, it'll be you know um, denied or it'll go up the chain of command which which actions um, shall be taken in it. But a lot of times it's based on um, filling out that paperwork proper. Um, putting the correct codes to go with it, and and then making sure that when you fill it out, you know when you pass it to someone, make sure that um, you you're getting feedback from it. You know, a lot of times there is a thing they call receipts, and sometimes you know you you want to know that your paperwork reach its destination because sometimes you know you give paperwork to someone they. If they got so much going on, you know, it may be laid down or um, someone, you know, put it in, in a filing and it just sits there. Um, if it's not properly filled out, then it may be discarded. So the main thing is that if 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 an inmate, you know, don't know how to fill it out, you know, have on your your fellow, um, um, you know, your whether it be your sale partners, whether you you have in wreck, you know, get somebody. Um, all all most facilities have they would like to, they call that jailhouse lawyer. Have your jailhouse lawyer to look at it, um, and just stay on it. You know, follow the commands. Make sure that you know when you're asking, you know, you're getting, you know, um, response and not somebody just saying that. You know, I pass it on to that person because you know. 
Um, file your grievance. If you file it and you don't hear anything, continue to file it. Continue to file it, you know, okay. until you get um, the the response that you're looking for, whether it's a yay or a nay, but it's all then, then filing your paperwork and having it filled out correctly. Okay. Um, I want to read an excerpt from this article because um, tonight we really do want to keep the focus on voting rights and why that should be. A lot of people like myself wasn't even aware that Maine and Vermont, two states uh, in the United States, have always allowed uh, prisoners to vote and the voting rights were never taken away. And it's important to have background information, historical information about why it was taken away in the first place. And so um, the ACLU wrote a pretty lengthy article. I'm going to start start somewhere in the middle where it talks about the historical context for this. But it says before the Civil War, as the Brennan Center report shows, voting rights and the loss of those rights weren't linked to convictions. America did not incarcerate in large numbers in states that adopted broad felony disenfranchisement did so after establishing full white male suffrage by eliminating property tests. So suffrage means voting. Uh, after the Civil War, places like Louisiana granted poor illiterate right, whites the right to vote while denying poor illiterate blacks the right to vote by basing the right on whether your grandfather could vote, hence the term grandfathered in. So in 8, 1787, the Constitution um, considered black people uh, as three-fifths of a human being for purposes of counting the population for the census. Uh, black voting was not an issue. Then came the Civil War and the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. Enslaving people, except as punishment for a crime, was legal. Birthright U.S. citizenship was established explicitly, including free enslaved people. Black men got the right to vote. Over 2,000 black men were elected to government offices and they began purchasing or homesteading property and voting. So America responded. The exception in the 13th Amendment allowing slavery as punishment for a crime was paired with black codes, which basically criminalized black life. Blacks convicted under black code laws were leased out to do work, providing cheap labor to boost the South's, South's faltering economy. In 1852, 2% of prisoners in Alabama were non-white, but by 1870, it was 74%. At least 90% of the least prison laborers were black. So in the 15 years between 1865 and 1880, at least 13 states, more than a third of the country's 38 states, enacted broad felony disenfranchisement laws. The theory was simple. Convict them of crimes, strip away the right to vote, imprison them, and lease them out as convict labor, and blacks will be returned to a condition as close to slavery as possible. And so it goes on, but I'm going to leave it there. We uh, have posted it in our show notes, so uh, I'll keep sharing the article on social media. But we're going to take a station identification break, and uh, we're going to roll into this video of Bernie Sanders, who this year got this conversation started. I've never known uh, voting rights for prisoners ever being part of the conversation during a presidential election. And, you know, so I, I just really think that we have an opportunity here to to repair a harm that has been done specifically to black people by restoring their rights to vote, even if they are in prison. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio Broadcasting on the Black Talk Radio Network every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Stay tuned. We'll be right back on the other side. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. I think the, the right Talk to vote is inherent to our democracy. In yes, even for terrible people. Senator Sanders, you 
you have said that you believe that people with felony records should be allowed to vote while in prison. Does this mean that you would support enfranchising people like the Boston Marathon bomber, a convicted terrorist and murderer? Do you think that those convicted of sexual assault should have the opportunity to vote for politicians who could have a direct impact on women's rights? Okay, thank you for the question, and, uh, and let me just say this. What our campaign is about, and what I believe, is creating a vibrant democracy. Today, as you may know, we have one of the lowest voter turnouts of any major country on earth. I want to see us have one of the highest voter turnouts. We live in a moment where cowardly Republican governors are trying to suppress the vote. As it happens in my own state of Vermont, from the very first days of our state's history, what our Constitution says is that everybody can vote. That is true. So people in jail can vote. Now, here is my view. If somebody commits a serious crime, sexual assault, murder, they're going to be punished. They may be in jail for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, their whole lives. That's what happens when you commit a serious crime. But I think the right to vote is inherent to our democracy. Yes, even for terrible people. Because once you start chipping away and you say, well, that guy committed a terrible crime, not going to let him vote. Well, that person did that, not going to let that person vote. You're running down a slippery slope. So I believe that people who commit crimes, they pay the price. When they get out of jail, I believe they certainly should have the right to vote. But I do believe that even if they are in jail, they're paying their price to society, but that should not take away their inherent American right to participate in our democracy. My follow-up question goes to this being like you're writing an opposition ad against you by saying you think the Boston Marathon bomber should vote not after he pays his debt to society, but while he's in jail. You sure about that? Well, Chris, I think I have written many 30-second opposition ads throughout my life. This will be just uh, another one. But I do believe, look, you know, this is what I believe. Do you believe in democracy? Do you believe that every single American 18 years of age or older who's an American citizen has the right to vote? Once you start chipping away at that, believe me, that's what our Republican governors all over this country are doing. They come up with all kinds of excuses why people of color, young people, poor people can't vote. And I will do everything I can to resist it. This is a democracy. We've got to expand that democracy. And I believe every single person does have the right to vote. And so that was um, presidential candidate uh, Senator Bernie Sanders out of Vermont uh, just standing pat on his belief that prisoners should be allowed to vote, uh, whether they want to stay in there or even once they get out. And I think that slippery slope he was talking about, that article I was reading, the ACLU deputy legal director, uh, Mr. Jeffrey Robinson, was showing us that slope and where it started. This is just a continuation of slavery. You know, you, you give the African, make African Americans full citizens, you give them the right to vote, but then you want to take away that power when you see they started getting elected to office and and gaining property and, and enjoying the fruits of citizenship. So then you come up with a, a scheme using the loophole in the 13th Amendment to come up with laws that you are targeting black people with and then throw them in prison and take away their right to vote, strip them of all their rights, and then just turn them into a slave and start leasing their labor back out. So I want to thank the ACLU for laying out that historical context. Context Panel, any thoughts on what we heard? I totally agree with um, what Brother Sanders was saying, because it, it's a shame, though, um, Scotty Max and, and, and Ty and, and listeners and Sister Wallace that People have to still prove their citizenship, prove their rights. All the, the, these years of fighting for, for our rights and fighting for justice, it's like it seemed like, is it was it for nothing? Because it, it's amazing how people in positions, specifically politicians, make all these laws and everything. They expect us, us to vote, but don't really care about everyone. And, you know, once you do a crime, you make a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. But how long does a person have to suffer for that? How long does a person have to pay when they're a felon? 
like once you do your time, you did your time, you're released. When is it, you know, second chance? When do we get that second chance? And and I really believe, you know, Brother Sanders, you know, he really, really trying to make some changes because he really recognizes what's right is right, what's wrong is wrong. Hey, he um, has the right to go. Why wouldn't the prisoners have the right to go? Okay. Uh, Maxwell, did you want to chime in there? I didn't hear you. What you say? I said, did you want to chime in? No, I'm good. I'm just listening and letting y'all do y'all. I just want to say, though, I just want everybody to recognize. I just want everybody to recognize, though, a lot of the politicians and everything is running to realize what their platforms are. Because for everything that's changing right now, for prisoners' right to vote and everything, there's leverage in that right now. And you can use your leverage. You know, it's like a give and take right now. And that's all I wanted to share is to be conscious of who you vote for and, you know, who you give your votes to out there. And that's just one of the main things that I wanted to express myself. And I just think that if prisoners can come out here and pay their taxes and they're working, why shouldn't they be entitled to everything else? You're paying your taxes. They're worthy enough to pay taxes. So why aren't they worthy enough to vote if they're paying their taxes? Right, and I, I assume you're speaking of those who are in prison with jobs. Who are no, I'm saying of the ones that are outside as well that aren't even allowed to vote. If they're good enough to pay taxes, why aren't they good enough to vote? Well, my my point. Of, I'm not just speaking of in prison. I, I, I would like all prisons to be a, be able to vote, but I'm saying the ones that are even out here that have jobs and are paying their taxes and doing the right thing that are on parole and different things that aren't allowed to vote. Right. If they're good enough to pay taxes, why aren't they good enough to vote? I think I was just pointing out that people in prison, because the public may not know this, because I did not know it until last week um, from, um, it, it was somebody in the text messages, it was a group text message uh, with Khadija, I believe it was Mother Khadija, um, but prisoners do, because I asked the question, do prisoners with jobs pay taxes and I was told that yes they pay taxes federal and state taxes out of the money that they get paid in prison um, um, they don't directly pay them but it is paid on a percentage as uh, I, I sent you an article brother Scotty of uh, how they're working up under these corporate places of prisoners that are in treatment and different things and all their money is being taken when they should actually be in programs but they're in workhouses and stuff. And yes, that money is being taxed, not indirect from them, but from the corporate people that are employing them. Dude, that's, that's the same as if I had a employer and they're withholding federal state taxes on me. That That's the same thing. Um, but we're in agreement that everybody, you know, if you're an American citizen, that's you should exactly. have the right to vote. Um, regardless exactly. of, of that other label they want to slap on you. Um, now, exactly. I want to I ask uh, Prophetess Wallace this. Now, one of the presidential candidates said this specifically about prison guards. And, you know, you're a former correctional officer, but this is why she said prisoners shouldn't be allowed to vote. And, and you can tell me, uh, Prophetess Wallace, if it makes any sense to you. But Tulsi Gabbard... Um, a representative out of Hawaii, when she was asked a question about prisoner voting, she said that if the prisoners are allowed to vote, the prison warden or even the guards will be telling them how to vote. And if they don't vote how they want them to vote, then they will abuse the prisoners. So that was her whole whole thinking on why prisoners shouldn't vote. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you have some strong-minded prisoners that they're just not, you know, going to go along just to go along. You have some very intelligent prisoners that's in there because they come from all, um, you know, all backgrounds, you know. You have lawyers, doctors, and, you know, senators and, and everything else that's incarcerated. So, you know, that saying um, that that all, you know, Prisoners are um, illiterate and, and ignorant. That that that's not so. You have mm -hmm. very intelligent prisoners that's in there. You know, 
devil has all types of degrees and backgrounds. But I think that one of the one of the the reasons why, you know, they are trying to keep prisons from from voting is because, you know, strength come in numbers. Mm-hmm. And when you go back and you do a poll of of how many African American uh prisoners you have and you just break it down by race, um and I and I and I'm I'm sure that I'm saying correctly on this, you have more African American prisoners in there. So if you had every um inmate that would be able to vote, then that means that all the African-American prisoners that's in there, um, you know, you, you're going to, some change is going to come. Yeah, you're talking about a million mm-hmm. votes. You, you're talking about a swing yeah. vote, possibly. They could swing an election. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and you, couple yeah. That, yeah. you couple that with felons, people who are not in prison but still not allowed to vote. If all of them, yeah. if prisoners and the felons were able to vote, you're looking at a voting block yeah. that's about 12 million people strong. Yes, yes, because you wouldn't have Donald Trump up in there, you know. Um, they wouldn't even allow him to even make it up in there. So if 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 I can keep, and then, you know, they look at, like I say, the Latinos and the Mexicans, they consider them as to be African-American as well. So when you get all those votes, then, you know, they're not going to be able to run this country the way that they want to run it. So if I can keep these people, keep them down, and not let their voice be heard, seen, or counted, then we still, you know, that, that goes back to that, that slavery thing. We still have the upper hand. Most definitely. Tyson, Mother Khadijah. Any- yeah, I just, I just, I just wanted to say, say something. You know, she was a um a, a state officer, and the federal doesn't doesn't it doesn't run like that. Um, Mexicans run with the Caucasians, and you know, it's a whole different different type of. I think she was talking in terms of minority voters. Um, Hispanics yeah, but, are are considered yeah. a minority voting block in of theirs. Now, I know exactly what she's talking about, but what I'm saying is, is that you know they consider themselves to be more, you know, in tune with 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 Caucasians and and, and federal systems like the the, the the Mexicans that I'm used to dealing with. It, it's like they're they feel as though like they you know they they are not they don't they don't like blacks. Okay, you know, so. You know, so it's, it's, it's a bit of a gray area right there. But one other thing I was saying was most important about changing the laws to where people can vote because you have a lot of a lot of people that's out here on life parole. You have a lot of brothers and sisters that's on life parole up in New York. And, you know, with the laws that they have now, they'll never be able to vote. Because Are you have, say, did you say life parole? parole? Did you say lifetime parole? Yeah, so if if you have lifetime parole the way the laws is now, you would never be able to vote, and you you you're on the street. You're a citizen, like you said. You're paying taxes. I just wanted to alliterate on that because okay. when Max was talking about you know the um, being able to vote and things like that, and you know it's it's a lot of brothers and sisters that are incarcerated. Like the way they have it in New York, they you know people catch charges instead of incarcerating because of the system is so jammed out there that they release people with with, with a, uh, they give a sentence called a yeah. once a life. They give them a one a life. So you might have one year and then come home on, on life parole. Wow. So you're never done with parole. So you, that, that's that, another whole, about another whole 50,000 to yeah. 100,000 brothers and sisters that can't vote. That's permanent you know disenfranchisement is what you're saying. Permanent Permanent disenfranchisement. Yeah, permanent parole. You are permanently on parole. Okay. Until you can get back to court and 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 try to get off, or you know, people are fighting that that permanent parole thing. So, you know, you you like Brother Maxwell can better tell you because he know a lot of people who who went through this was had came home with life parole, probably been clean and did what they supposed to do for twenty years and may have got off. 
But yeah, it's a lot of there's a lot of brothers and sisters that have life parole, and they'll never be able to vote if these laws don't change. Mm. Uh, well, it's on us who do have our voting rights, like like myself, uh, like prop, prop, the prophetess uh, Wallace, uh, like Mother Khadijah, and um, Tyson, you're here in North Carolina and in the state of North Carolina. Once uh, your probation is up, uh, your right voting rights are automatically restored. So it is on yeah. us, as I was telling my uncle uh, the other night as we were driving down from my aunt's funeral, um, you, we had a, a 12 passenger van and so I was just trying to keep him awake and we were having a conversation and uh, I was talking to him about prisoners rights and voting rights for prisoners and other rights for prisoners and you know he he's a spiritual man as I am I'm a Christian he's a Christian and you know he had a different perspective and he was like you know uh people if they just lean on the Lord and and pray and you know other people find opportunity without doing this that and the other and I was like come on unk Come on, uh, you know, we are called as if we're going to call ourselves Christians, that means we're supposed to be representing Christ. And the scriptures say that we should uh, uh, think of people in prison as if we're in prison with them, that if people are being mistreated, we have to think of that as us also being mistreated. So what I'm saying is those of us who still have certain rights, we had to be the advocates and push this issue and not let them, you know, sweep it under the rug and keep fighting for not just the voting rights for prisoners, but in, but the recognition of their human rights under the Declaration of Human Rights. Yeah. Well, we coming to the end of the broadcast. We got about 12, um, excuse me, about 10 minutes left. Prophetess, did you want to share any final thoughts? And I know, you know, your organization focus mostly on domestic violence, but I really, you know, appreciate you, you know, putting that to the side for tonight and speaking to us on the issue of prisoners' rights and, and the voting issue. But, you know, do you got anything coming up in terms of your domestic violence outreach and how can people find out more about that and how can they support you? Um, yes, um, we do take donations. Um our ultimate goal is to set up 10 safe haven homes throughout Virginia and then be able to set up, um, to obtain a building where we will be able to house those persons for a year and um, contract with dis different um, business and so forth so they'll be able to obtain employment and 10%. Um, they will keep up their earnings and the rest will go into a trust fund. So when their year comes up, they'll be able to go out into to society and be able to sustain versus having to go back to their abusers. Um, we do have Cash App, um, which that um, is a dollar sign, then it's COCO75750866761. Um, I'm um, also on Facebook. Um, under Coming Out Christian Outreach Organization and under Miriam Wallace. Um, a lot of my uh, radio talk shows, I, I'm live every Tuesday. Um, her her while on WGPL um, 1350 Gospel AM radio station every Tuesday at 1115 um, to 1130. Um, so we're trying to raise money so we can do things and um, help persons to flee and and um, when they're in need of um, we also help you know persons paying um, bills, food, clothing whatever their needs uh, bus tickets um, if they need to, to to hop on a plane and, and, and flee then we try to provide um, having funds. I've been personally supporting um, this organization which was founded in 2012 I'm a thriver of domestic violence, so this is my passion. I give 100% to this, and I always let people know I wouldn't dare ask someone to do something that I don't do. Um, and I encourage people to you know, send letters um, to P.O. Box 5234, Suffolk, Virginia, 23435. Um, but um, and all I'm saying in everything which 
I would say go hand in hand. I'm, I'm a firm believer that I am my brother's keeper and I'm my sister's keeper. And whether they are incarcerated or not, that if we could just come together and get on one accord and, and help each other, you know, uh, we're complaining and, you know, we're saying what, you know, um, what other race is not doing for us. But we first have to learn how to work together and get along. And then once maybe other races will see that we can be in unity, then maybe they will have respect for us. But we don't respect each other. Thank you. Thank you again for the um, work and the advocacy that you do on behalf of domestic violence victims. At this time, I, I, I want to give the host uh, opportunity, our uh, panel uh, opportunity to leave the listeners with a final thoughts on uh, tonight's program. We'll go with Maxwell first. Maxwell, you there, brother? Uh, you got any final thoughts tonight? Brother Max? Yes, I'm right here, Brother Scotty. I just like you said, I appreciate her coming on very much. Uh, I appreciate all her information. Uh, she was very informative as being a former correction officer. And I just tried to lay back myself to, tonight, uh, Brother Scotty, because mm -hmm. I wanted her to go in, you know, even though I have a first-hand experience at it, but I wanted her to be able to give her perspective being a former correction officer, mm. you know, so that when I do come back in and things I say, people will understand this is not just something I'm saying because I'm against the system. I'm against an, I'm against an injustice. And she is a sister that can verify all of, you know what I'm saying? Word, word. I definitely hear you. And that's why I just wanted to lay back. So when they hear her, they hear it from her. Then when they get it from me, she ain't got nothing against the system other than the injustices that they do, and I ain't got nothing against them other than the injustices that they do towards our people and our brothers that are in the system. Okay. And that's my only problem with them. And Scotty, but Scotty, you, uh, uh, Sister Khadija and all y'all, I'm not saying that y'all would be against me. I'm an abolitionist, right? But I do believe in you have to have law and order and everything because if not it will be a barbaric society you understand i'm not saying some of our brothers you know you know just you know, criticize me do whatever you want to do me some of my brothers there's just no help for some of them sometimes brother i'm gonna keep it real with you you understand i've been in there i did serve 34 years in there and it's because of their mental illnesses and different things. It ain't just because of who they are as an individual. It's just because of the sicknesses and mentalities that they have. They're not bad people. With their, their brains and their minds are distorted. But, yes, we do need some form of order. We do need some institutions, Brother Scotty, in my opinion. In my opinion. Yeah. I'm not saying y'all. I say mine. I just wanted to share that with y'all, bro. All right. Well, I you know, agree. I'll take whatever criticism that comes with it. I'll take whatever criticism that comes with it. Well, like Bernie Sanders was saying when they tried to pigeonhole him by saying, you know, you want the marathon bomber to vote or you want a rapist to vote. And he talked about that slippery slope. So if you're American citizen and like he was saying, they are punished. And like um, our brother, yeah. brother Av Emmanuel Averill was saying, the punishment is yeah. the separation from society. Okay, exactly. so so like you said though, we do have people with mental illness, but the prison isn't the place to treat mental illness. The mental illness yeah. hospital, a psychiatric ward, and so exactly. you know that exacerbates the problems. Is because the institutions are uh, called prisons aren't set up to help anyone. Um, you know, address exactly. those issues, and and of course we we have uh, plenty more um, times you know, in the future we can go into in the depth. But uh, brother Max, a, a lot of these officers go on what their personal beliefs are. We're not put there to be punished. We're put there as a punishment, not for what they try to do to us as human beings and their personal beliefs. They try to punish us. It's not in their realm to punish us. We are put there as a punishment, not for them to punish us right. on what their beliefs are. You know? Right. And, you know, and, and, but, it, what, what she said something, that sister said something, bro, 
I had to fall back, bro, because sometimes I have flashbacks. Mm. And when she said mm. something about the vote, and, the, and you know, y'all was talking about the votes, and they were saying how, yes, if they were to provide all those votes to them prisoners, yes, there would be certain officers and different people telling them and trying to influence them and what to vote and who to vote and how to vote. Yes, they would. Mm-hmm. They would be. I'm telling you from firsthand mm-hmm. experience. There would be people in there and then also trying to influence that on them and in and, and an indirect way trying to impose that on them. And for the ones that couldn't think clear enough for themselves that are of status of mental illnesses and they have uh, mental illnesses wings in there. I'm not saying they're appropriate ones, but they have them. And they would be saying, well, for example, this one chose to do this. Not in reality. The officer chose them to do that. Well, you know, Brother Maxwell, as we got to get ready to close out. The last All right, thing, my brother. All right. The last thing I'll say about that, though, and, and Prophetess Wallace hinted to this when she was talking about you got some intelligent people in there. You got people in there from all backgrounds of life. But the prisoners, exactly. the the prisoners who took part in the nationwide prison strike were willing to put their mm-hmm. lives on the li- line, and they did, because many of them were put in the hole, in, in the shoe, mm-hmm. in solitary confinement for participating in a strike with demands, and one of those demands was the right to vote. So, yeah, there'll yeah. be people who will try to influence them, uh, try to coerce them to vote a certain kind of way. Um, but, hey, then the prisoners can deal with that. They can deal with that. Exactly. But that's that's not like Tulsi Gabbard. They want to do a stand-up for themselves. Yeah, exactly. So, Mother Khadijah, Tyson, uh, y'all final thoughts for tonight? Well, I wanted to thank you again, Scotty, for letting us have Prison Street Talk Ministries on the new abolitionist radio through Black Talk Radio. Sister <clears throat> Prophet is me. Um, Wallace, thank you for coming on to, to show the correctional side point of view. But my comment is for all the listeners out there is those that have family, friends, loved ones that blocked up, it's our responsibility to be that voice. We have the tools that we can do. We have Google. We can Google some stuff. Stay in touch with your family and loved ones that blocked up because if shoes on the other foot, you'd want someone to help you. So we want to make sure that, that family and loved ones write them wardens. Stay on touch. Christmas Street Top Ministries, if you don't know the laws, look us up. We'll help you find out in what state you're in, what laws that the state or federal institution has to abide by legally. That's what we want to do is to show you there is no excuse to be ignorant anymore. You have companies and organizations that are here to help you. So utilize the free resources while it's still free and let us help your loved ones. Otherwise, they're going to just be a number and fall through or get murdered behind walls. So we just yeah. want to make uh-huh. sure that, that we fight for voters' rights, that we, we abolish the 13th Amendment that legalizes slavery because none of us should be treated like we're slaves because we're not slaves. So I just uh-huh. want exactly. to say that. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. You know, we're here every every Wednesday, 8, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. And I just wanted to really just we're going to probably stay on this voters right for for a few more of the shows but it's important sure. to know how serious this really is and how it could change the whole game yes man and i just like to say right uh, to uh brother tazan and sister Gadiza of prison street talk ministries and save the children's uh network and all that. i just like to say thank y'all in collaboration with brother scotty of the abolitionist black talk radio i just like to say Thank all y'all for providing this platform for all of us to collaborate and come together and to try to bring some actions and not just words and try yeah. to bring some actions and bring people together. I like to just say thank all of you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Tyson, mm-hmm. uh, any final thoughts, yes, Tyson? Sir, just, yeah, my final thoughts is, man, um, you know, everybody love yourself so we can love the next person, you know. Be a blessing yeah. to somebody else, man, to continue on speak what is what what is real and what is relevant and what is going to progress our future and to all the listeners man touch a hold of these kids man so they don't be a statistic man grab hold of them and keep them in the right spirits man because it all start with our children man our children real deal children saving lives you know that's 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 
that's a, a big deal, man. That's that's the most important thing is getting a hold of our youth. All right. So with, with that being said, you know, I love all you guys and I thank you for being being here tonight on the show and you know, it's a blessing to always be on air with you guys. So I love exactly. y'all once again. Thank you. Thank all of you guys. Amen. Thank Peace. You. Everybody. All right. Well, with that said, we're going to close out the broadcast. Be sure to join us. Well, also, be sure to share the podcast. Uh, Maybe, you know, someone you know should listen to this podcast, and the podcast will be up in less than two hours. So share the podcast. We got a whole archive of different guests, uh, different topics. Go in our archives and share those with others. But thank you so much for coming on and listening to us here on New Abolitionist Radio on these very important topics and issues that we discuss every week. Peace and blessings to all. Be safe out there. Peace. 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 Land of the free it lies the home of the homeless Too many die every day and we really just want this Freedom